welcome to another in our series, Spiritual Foundations. Today we're looking at the important topic, Christian love. Christian love. You know, Melbourne's experienced a longer and stricter lockdown than any other city in the world. And of course, that has had and is going to have its ramifications. Um, I listened to a, a lecture just recently with a bunch of other Baptist pastors, so online but live and uh, opportunity for questions and answers afterwards. Uh, the lecturer was a chap called Ajit Singh, a Christian guy. He's uh, the Honorary Associate Professor of Psychology at uh, Deakin Medical School. And uh, he gave us some, you know, helpful insights. Now, I won't quote much of what he said, but I'll, I'll just give you a few indicators of uh, what he was suggesting we just need to be aware of as Christians. Uh, he mentioned that, for instance, um, the definition of pandemic stress, which many, many people are genuinely experiencing, some to lesser degrees, but some to a quite a harsh level, is uh, this. Marked emotional distress triggered or exacerbated by direct or indirect pandemic impacts which overwhelm one's capacity to cope. So I'll say it again. Uh, definition of pandemic stress, marked emotional distress triggered or exacerbated by direct or indirect pandemic impacts which overwhelm one's capacity to cope. Now, as he chatted uh, through some of the realities of what people are having to go through, uh, he did mention that uh, this was a lecture that he gave to over 1,000 doctors of medicine um, some time ago and uh, he's updated it a little bit and shaped it a bit more for pastors and so he also added I put some scripture in this one <laughs> but um, but really what he's helping us to do is trying to be aware of some of the challenges that we're going to be facing not just now but into the future he highlighted that um, after the global financial crisis a little bit over a decade ago he said for instance um, suicides amongst the employed rose by 7%, the unemployed females 19%, unemployed males 22%. And what he's saying is middle next year, as the government, uh, the subsidies etc. cease, the financial kind of support lifts, some people are going to find themselves in a very challenging situation. And uh, as we know, there's been many people who might have been in work for 30 years and uh, suddenly find themselves unemployed and may have a big mortgage. Others have had their business fall over. And so what he's saying is that particularly he's suggesting for middle-aged men that coming into that period, we may find there's a, a heightened increase in suicidal tendencies and even suicide itself. And as churches, we just need to be aware that this is going to be one of the challenges that many people are going to be facing, not just now, but into next year. He goes on to say that uh, substance abuse has been a reality over this period. Uh, and he, he quotes, for instance, the purchase of alcohol. He says the, the statistics are such that over the last, um, well, since the pandemic started, actually, he said there was almost immediately an increase of 20% of alcohol sales and he says that has just remained the same. Now he explained, uh, you know, it's obviously there's a variety of things that means. Some people are perhaps drinking you didn't used to, some people are drinking more, but he said from their professional perspective they would suggest that there's probably something like an increase of 20% more alcoholics. And so it's not just having a few drinks, that's to the point where that person is completely dependent on alcohol to survive and to cope with the pandemic stress that they're facing. 
And so these realities simply tell us that, hey, people are not coping well. And I guess for us as Christians, we've got to ask ourselves the question, well, how do we minister to a struggling city of people, including each other? And my suggestion is today that exercising Christian love will be a key. Let me read you a passage which is often called the New Commandment, John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So powerful words there from Jesus. And let me just uh, briefly unpack that scripture. First of all, uh, what is Christ's new commandment? It is to simply love each other. Uh, well, whose example of love are we to follow? Well, Jesus is, is suggesting his own example. And thirdly, what will result when Christians extend this sort of love? Well, he suggests that people will realise that we are his disciples. Now, I wonder what love means in that context. Uh, well, um, our English word love that's translated in that passage is translated from the Greek verb agapeo. Uh, we're familiar uh, with both these words, I guess, uh, the, the Greek verb agapeo and the noun agape, or as some pronounce it, agape. It's uh, worthy of definition because it's, um, it, it, it kind of got created in the culture of the early church. So let me read this. The, this was a word the early church adopted to describe Christian love. It was a love that was to be extended to all people, whether family members, those who are a part of the church, or complete strangers. It has been described as a selfless love, an unconditional love. C.S. Lewis referred to it as gift love, the highest form of Christian love. Thomas Aquinas explained this love is, and I quote, to will the good of another. Uh, so influences there from Vine's word dictionary. The Apostle Paul puts it this way as he describes it, using the same word each time you see the word love in this passage. It's, uh, it's agape or, or uh, it's uh, the verb agapeo. Let no debt remain outstanding, 13.8 Romans, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commandments there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Now, obviously, there Paul is influenced by Jesus' own words, which is an indication that Paul no doubt had access to one or two of the Gospels. Uh, they were clearly being distributed by the time Paul is writing uh, his letter here. Um, now, friends, I think in the journey of talking about love, I want to have a look at um, five different ways we could perhaps unpack or express love. And I'll, I'll use um, five headings to help us in that journey. First of all, number one, quality fellowship. That's a good expression of love, isn't it? Quality fellowship. Acts 2.42 says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Now, the, the Greek noun here is koinonia, and it means literally sharing in common. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it's sharing of yourself, 
of your life. As we read, read on in that passage that it comes from, it's sharing even of your belongings. It's maintaining healthy relationships, being genuinely close to some Christian friends. And I guess um, to an extent, the onus is on us as Christians too. If we're not close to anyone in church, you know, make an effort, try and connect because I'm absolutely convinced that being close to one another, especially at a time like this, is going to be important. I'm not saying close to everyone, but have some Christian friends that you're close to. Hebrews 10.25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Here, the author of Hebrews, which I personally believe is Apollos, um, scholars are unsure who the author is, but he's one of the possibilities. Um, here he's saying, look, um, so there were some in the early church that were neglecting regular getting together. And he's saying, don't, don't neglect to do that because you need the encouragement that one another can bring. Um, I remember preaching uh, on, on this topic years ago uh, in England, actually, and I, I got um, Stuart, one of the... Um, uh, employees of the church to organise a, a big uh, pile of coals, burning coals, and put it in a metal metal thing on the stage. And at one point, I took out one of the coals. It's red hot at that point. Had a metal thing to put it on on the stage. Let it sit there for a bit, and it didn't take long. And the thing was set of bright red. It became black, and it, you could pick it up after a little while. It was no longer hot. And I placed it back in amongst the other coals to illustrate the fact when Christians are disengaged from fellowship, um, the problem is their faith in Christ becomes cold, their love for one another becomes cold. We need to be connected together. And so, you know, this is something that Apollos is saying, uh, or the book of Hebrews is saying, that is very, very important for the average Christian. We need to get together to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. First uh, John 1, 6-7 says this, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now part of that is just being real and being honest in our, our journey with God and with life. Um, but it goes on to prove to us that actually good fellowship with the Lord helps us to have good fellowship with one another. You know, our relationship with God makes it easier for us, if it's in a good place, to have good quality fellowship with one another. And of course, there are many opportunities, and they're going to increase in the next little bit now with um, restrictions easing, to have genuine fellowship one with another. You know, one of the things that I know many people enjoy for fellowship, which has been on hold for a bit, is the Cuppa Club that we run as a church. And a uh, great opportunity to go out for coffee and just chat and to fellowship, to connect with one another. You know, there are some, uh, of course, very bad examples that we can highlight within Christian churches where anything but genuine fellowship takes place. And it seems that uh, the opposite of love is a reality. Um, I can think of an account where Charles Swindle, he's a preacher I listen to from time to time from America, and he tells a story of, of a pastor who he indicated was one of his friends. And uh, he was preaching some stuff in his church uh, which was not re well received by some of the deacons. And um, it wasn't, wasn't liberal or erroneous or anything. It was just stuff that, you know, they felt it was a wrong direction for the church. 
They consulted with him, but he really felt this is the direction God was leading him in. Well, they just started to become nasty, downright hateful, despite the fact these deacons are Christians. And to just highlight one of the things they did, the pastor stayed in a manse of the churches and um, in the backyard there was a heap of play equipment. Um, he had little kids at the time. And so some of the deacons went around when the family was out and they smashed up all the play equipment. You imagine the little kids coming home and seeing all their equipment smashed to pieces. But that's the sort of extent that people will go to sometimes when they're just not getting their way. They're not getting what they want. And they move from having any evidence of Christian love to absolute anger and hate and nastiness. Well, friends, you know, may we be a people that allow the Holy Spirit to come in and truly sanctify us, because that's the issue. There are, there are many Christians that have... The level of sanctification by the Holy Spirit is pretty shallow. <laughs> they're, not nearly, they're not nearly transformed in the way God would like. And all of us fall short of his glory, absolutely. But let's be a people that are mindful, that love should be something that's governing what we do. And when we're not getting away or we're not, getting, we're not very happy about something, whether at church or somewhere else, might be in the workplace, wherever... May we be a people that don't resort to really ungodly methods of trying to, to deal with that. And I know in a time of pandemic stress, we can lean towards doing some really ungodly stuff because of the pressures that we might be feeling. But let's allow the Holy Spirit to keep on helping us be a loving people. Another topic I'd like to mention is small group meetings. Small group meetings, you know, what a great opportunity where genuine fellowship can take place. Let me, let me read here about Acts 2.46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And so here we see a, a really helpful little picture in a single verse of the early church where they were meeting daily in the temple courts. That was a big gathering. It was a big church by this time. And so every morning... There would be a church service where there'd be worship and one of the apostles would preach. But then it adds, they were also meeting from house to house. In other words, small groups where they'd share a meal, probably remember Jesus' death and resurrection over the meal. They'd have fellowship together in that environment, a chance to be close and to express love to one another. Um, one of the things that um, one of my churches actually uh, used to use as an acrostic to describe small groups, it used the term life groups. And uh, it's a great little acrostic because it says four of the functions of a small group. Um, L for learning together around the Bible. I for intercession. You know, it's a time where we can get together for prayer. F for fellowship. It's a time to really get to know one another more and know each other's journeys, to get closer to each other. And E for evangelism. Um, yeah, I mean, they used to include that as well. <laughs> and it might seem, well, how do small groups do evangelism? But, you know, actually any, any group can actually get good at that as well. I mean, one of the, uh, back actually at Crossway South, um, we had a, uh, my home, we had a small group, a Christian small group in operation. And one of the things that we would do is once a month, instead of our regular Bible study, and it might be prayer and worship and uh, fellowship, we'd actually do an outreach. And so once a month, instead of our normal group meeting, we'd actually have a pool and pizza night. You know, and we had a pool table at my home. And so a bunch of my Christian friends would come and I'd invite my neighbours and just other unchurched friends and we'd just shoot pool. 
and eat pizza. And people got to know each other. And ultimately, out of that, a bunch of these unchurched people actually ended up doing Alpha. And again, still mixing with some of my church friends that they'd got to know. And so absolutely, yeah, small groups can also have an evangelistic edge. Um, you know, Jesus was in a small group. You think about it. The 12 disciples, Jesus and the 12 disciples, it's like a small group, isn't they? Often were alone together, just the, the small group of them. Let me give an example. Mark 6.30, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. So he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. And, um, you know, enjoying a bit of fishing, actually, I reckon that's a great place to run a small group in a boat. <laughs> but um, here we see, and of course, the Middle Eastern boats that um, four of the disciples were into fishing. They had fishing businesses. Um, and so the, the, the shape of the, uh, the Israelite boats at that time, or should I say the Jewish boats at that time, it's likely that, yeah, 12 is not a bad size. 12 would have comfortably fit. They'd fit just a few more than that. And so what a great environment. They get out on the lake and just have some space together and of course operating again in that small group type of environment. You think of so many times when the, the 12 were alone with Jesus and they'd ask him questions about what he was preaching to the crowds and that sort of stuff. Um, let me encourage you, look if um, you're not a part of any sort of small group within the church, that could be a great thing to consider. You know, I think it is part of our, our journey to draw closer to one another and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I realise um, because of some very unfortunate restrictions, if you've chosen not to be vaccinated, according to government regulations, our regular Sunday service is an event that you will not be legally allowed to attend because of uh, restricted numbers and all the stuff that uh, unfortunately we're being forced to do. Uh, however, the small group environment is a totally different story. Um, at the moment, with the current uh, limitations, you can have 10 people in your home, which of course is a good small group size, and in that environment there is no restrictions, whether vaccinated or unvaccinated. Now that might rise, even by the time this is broadcast, uh, it might be up to 20, it probably won't go beyond 20, so we're being told, but you know, there is these opportunities, let's capitalise on them at this time when we're probably feeling uh, a little disconnected and very over the constant restrictions that we've got, let's capitalise in getting together in small groups and ministering to one another in that environment. You know, um, I wonder if someone would like to host a new uh, in-person, face-to-face small group, which will include vaccinated and non-vaccinated. Uh, you know, Kerry's had some great ideas actually about uh, keeping the children of the church connected with parents who've been vaccinated or not vaccinated, and uh, more of that will probably be shared in the next little while. Uh, let's just be mindful. As we can meet in the small group environment, of course, let's make that a priority. Hospitality is another area that we need to explore. What a great opportunity to express love. It says in 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another. And so here, Peter's just saying, Hey, look, um, love is so important. And if, if, you, if you love people, it covers over a multitude of sins. In other words, you become a little bit less judgmental. <laughs> and, uh, and so when someone does something you're not happy with, you tend to be more forgiving about it. And then he goes straight into this idea of hospitality, almost like he's linking the two. Like he's saying, well, hospitality is a great way to increase that love experience 
in, in the environment of the church. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I, what's hospitality? Well, having someone over for a coffee or for a meal. You know, I'm off for a meal next week and it's with one of our families that is not vaccinated and I'm looking forward to it. I think we'll have a, a fun time of fellowship together. We don't have restrictions in that area either. Just remember that. You know, we're at a place where, uh, you know, um, we can certainly be visiting one another. Going beyond uh, the, the concept there of uh, hospitality, what we might normally think of, but it also includes asking a Christian friend uh, or, or stranger to stay. You know, you think of um, Renee and Chris, actually. They have a, a guy who's been staying at their house for a long time, but, you know, he's not... He's in a place emotionally where he's, you know, he's a little bit of a mess at times, and they've offered to kind of be there for him, and he lives in their home. So they've got that hospitality heart just to, to look after him. You know, you think of uh, those who've been in an Alpha course where you share the meal... That's a classic hospitality thing again. I guess the, the people who've originally thought up this concept knew that uh, the idea of food based around the course was going to be a great benefit. Um, and of course, when you run an Alpha course, you do get that sense of hospitality happening. You're eating together. And in that environment, often actually evangelism can function better. Let me read to you from Romans uh, 12, 9 through 10 and verse 13. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You know, um, Vine's uh, Greek work dictionary here actually explains that the original concept of practicing hospitality in the first century was one that actually included complete strangers. So the early church would do this, complete strangers, even ones that might not be, how, how can I put it, that may not appear safe on the surface, but they would reach out to them and embrace them and, and put them up for the night or, or for a few days and feed them. And uh, they used that ultimately then as a way to express love and reach people with the gospel. Um, you know, I, I used to run, uh, uh, um, uh, for want of a better word, a ministry centre based around largely discipleship and evangelism when I was a, a young guy. And um, really, I think these days we'd look at, look at it as an emerging church. But one of the things that we used to do is um, we would reach out to people that often wouldn't step foot inside a church. You know? <laughs> and so it was, you know, people that were involved in the occult or, or, or people that were... Um, you know, addicted to some form of, of substance, often you know, serious drugs and that sort of thing, um, or, or people that uh, were literally criminals. Um, and, uh, and worst of all, we used to reach out to musicians. Well, um, I remember one day getting, I had a strong connection with another city, partly because Pamela lived there, although I don't think we were going out at that point. Um, but uh, I was also very good friends with this guy called Dave Clauber, and I used to go to that city sometimes to speak to Christian groups at their university. Um, but anyway, I get a call from David, who was a real evangelist in that city, and he said, look, we've been reaching out to this guy, Mick, and uh, look, he, I, th I, think, you know, I think deep down he's open to the gospel. We've had some great talks, uh, but look, he's in a bit of a, a, bit of a spot at the moment. Um, he's on the run from the law. He burnt down a shopping centre in Melbourne, and he skipped the state. And, uh, you know, he's been staying in a caravan park, but he had a bit of a blue with the owner, and so he shot up the caravan with his gun. And so they've been promptly kicked out. 
And he said, do you think he could come and stay at your ministry centre for, for a time? And I said, yeah, yeah, tell him no problem. Tell him he can bring his gun. And so sure enough, <laughs> David brings him down, drives him down and uh, Mick arrives with his uh, bandana and, uh, you know, looking pretty tough and uh, carrying his gun. And uh, so, you know, he, he stayed with us for a couple of weeks and he, he tells me about two weeks into it, you know, I was pretty sceptical about you guys. I thought, you know, what, what scam is Lee pulling with this, this centre? You know, is he just getting a lot of money from the government? What, what's going on? And he said, said to me, but I realised, Farad, these guys really are. They're just into Jesus. Weird as, but they are. They're just into Jesus. And that was one of the earlier conversations. But within about another week or two from there, Mick just found himself believing this stuff must be real and gave his life to Jesus Christ, inviting him in as Lord and Saviour. And, um, you know, so he was being discipled and um, some of the times um, I'd, I'd take him for a drive somewhere wherever I was off to and in the car I'd be teaching him memory verses, you know, just, just uh, not, not even in the car but just going through a verse with him and, you know, by the end of the trip he'd learnt three new memory verses. Anyway, uh, early in the discipleship series that I was taking him through, um, we did a study on baptism. And so within a couple of weeks of that, he's saying, well, you know, I've come to believe, can I be baptised? And I said, absolutely. And there was another guy that was ready for baptism as well. And so we, we got together and uh, we went to the, um, the sea, uh, which I must admit, uh, we, would have, we should have taken a speaker or something with us because um, we often forget how loud the ocean is. So we're trying, guys are trying to give their testimonies and uh, I'm trying to preach a bit. But yeah, you had to really project your voice because the ocean in the background is quite loud. But anyway... Um, he was baptised there that day and another guy who recently called me at three o'clock in the morning, actually. <laughs> and, uh, and it was just a wonderful experience. And actually the chap filming it all, because we captured it all on film, great testimonies, and uh, the guy filming it, he was a Satanist priest. You know, he'd been another we'd reached out to and now, now a committed Christian and even went off to Bible college, actually. But um, I share that story about Mick because, uh, you know, Mick um, was someone who probably is not likely to be invited into a place to stay and experience Christian hospitality. But in the journey of reaching out to a guy like that, of course, it ultimately meant he's in the kingdom of God. Now, a couple of weeks after his baptism, he was telling me, I'm starting to feel guilty. And I said, what about? He said, well, I've broken the law. I need to go back to Melbourne and I need to turn myself in. Now, we never pushed that on him. We just let the Holy Spirit bring conviction. And so the day came, went back to Melbourne, and I, I represented him to an extent, according, of course he had a, a lawyer as well, um, and uh, I, I told a little bit about how he's changed and uh, the transformation that, you know, I believe that Jesus has brought in his life. And uh, the judge wasn't too bad. I mean, he was reasonably sympathetic to that. He actually said, yes, well, I realise some people do go through a religious experience and they change for the better, but I'm also aware it doesn't always last, and so I'm giving you seven years in prison. And I thought, oh, man, we were, we were a bit brokenhearted because we were all praying that he'd, he'd get it let off reasonably light. But actually... He was, he was offered the opportunity for parole, I think it's called, isn't it, after one year. And so out of good behaviour, he was out after one year. And friends, um, when I think of uh, hospitality to the extreme like that, let's have, a, let's have an open heart just to see who, what God is saying to us about whoever it might be. Another point, pastoral care. Number four, pastoral care. 
A lot of good pastoral care going on in the church. You think of uh, Kim and Beck and Susie's care ministry where they're creating uh, food packs and gifts and dropping that around to people's places just to know that uh, they're thought of and some people are in need. Um, Or you think of Helen Mead and her card ministry where everyone in the church who's happy to receive one gets gets a birthday card and there's other cards just when people need a bit of encouragement that she's regularly doing. It's always good to see those pastoral things going on throughout a church. It tells us in John 21, 16, Again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. Uh, Now Peter, of course, not too long after this, he becomes uh, the, uh, the apostle of or the senior pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And uh, let's see how he puts into practice some of what Jesus is saying in taking care of my sheep. Uh, Because um, pastoral issues came up from time to time. Let me read about one. Acts 6, 1 through 4. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. Uh, You got the idea? So um, Peter sees the need, a pastoral need, and he, he brings it to some of the people of the church and they organise a solution. And in this case, it's a team, a team, a big church. So a team of seven people to sort out this pastoral need. And so often we do need a measure of organisation and structure to do pastoral care well. And uh, the, one of the chaps in our church, who uh, all of you know, is Richard. And uh, Richard has recently had a conversation with me and I also um, passed it by the church board. Uh, he would like to... Um, uh, move into, well, really, he didn't use this term, but kind of a management role of pastoral care. So in other words, he'd like all of us doing pastoral care, and there's lots of people who are, just to shoot him an email um, as we're doing pastoral care with people. So, you know, whatever that might be, just to, so he can then put on a spreadsheet uh, month by month, you know, who's who's getting uh, pastorally looked after you know, or connected with, And uh, who isn't? And so we can see a little bit more clearly if some people are kind of missing out. And that would be, I think, a tremendous addition to our pastoral team. You know, um, love is something where, you know, if a church has really got that bubbling over, love for one another within the church, pastoral care actually should happen quite naturally. Um, One of the things that Professor Ajit suggested to us as pastors is just make your congregations aware that simply providing a listening ear to people because some of them are doing it tough simply providing that listening ear whether it's over a coffee whether it's over the phone but just providing that listening ear to to let them share how they're doing Uh, and in in that sort of environment there's a bit of time to really pour out their heart that can be such make such a difference uh, to just helping people through the journey of some of the pandemic stress um, you know and and that love thing is really possible I, I remember one of my churches I, I planted in Sydney uh, we did something uh, titled natural church development 
And um, that was something that came out of Germany by Christian Swartz. And it was really to help churches analyse their health. And he had eight categories. And uh, uh, we were one of the first churches to do it, actually. One of my friends had been over to America and he'd seen uh, a lecture series there. The book wasn't even available in Australia at that point. And he'd grabbed a few and I was friends with him. So he, he gave me one. And I read through it and thought, actually, this would be good to have a look at. So we had one of our denominational leaders, Scott Pilgrim, actually take our church through it and give an analysis. And um, you get a you kind of, after people have filled out the various questions, uh, you get an idea of where your strengths and weaknesses lie. Well, our particular church, actually five years in a row, because we did it every year for five years, five years in a row, our highest score was loving relationships. And so I, I share that simply to say, hey, churches can create a culture of love. You know, it can be developed. May we develop that more and more. And, and I know I'm, I'm not saying that everyone would have felt loved in the church because I remember one lady saying that she was always, she was a little bit surprised that we kept getting that score because she felt, she didn't feel very loved. And you know, I, I, straight away, you know, I want to validate her feelings. If she doesn't feel loved, well, then she doesn't feel loved. But I knew we were making an effort. Uh, for instance, um, she had a terrible condition of, of arthritis. She's only a lung, young lady, um, a couple of little kids. And, uh, but she had this arthritic condition and it, she was in terrible pain sometimes. And so to the point where she couldn't even brush her own hair. So, you know, it was pretty severe. But we came around, I remember one night, and uh, a group of probably 12 of us or so, um, many of the people who were quite into prayer, and we had a worship time for 30 minutes or so and then we laid hands on her for prayer and anointed her with oil and we prayed over her for about an hour. Well, you've guessed it. She was miraculously healed. A wonderful, wonderful answer to prayer from the Lord. But um, at the same time, all I'm saying that is we were making an effort. But some people will not feel loved no matter how hard you're trying to do it. And as a journey, I just pray that we as a church will make it a priority. Let's try and help people towards a place where everyone is feeling a part of things and feeling loved as best as we can. In sharing that, um, some of the stuff I guess we just need to be mindful of is if people are going through a tough time. I don't know, someone's failed their exams. We've got a lot of exams going on at the moment. Uh, someone's got a, a health scare, cancer or something else, you know, something serious loss of a job, uh, broke up with a girlfriend or boyfriend, marriage trouble, could be depression, there's a lot of that around at the moment, very difficult work situation. You know, let's try and just know people enough so that hopefully every member of the church has one or two friends they can be that honest with and share about what they're really going through. Just remember, you know, despite some of the very difficult restrictions that we we have in place, especially affecting, well, many organisations, but I just want to say especially affecting churches, I think. Um, you know, we have no restriction on phone calls. We have no restriction on Zoom catch-ups. Let, let's make them a priority to connect with people. Um, vaccinated people can pastorally visit anyone. Let me say that again. Vaccinated people, you can pastorally, pastorally visit anyone. Non-vaccinated people, you can have... Ten people over to your homes. Let's allow pastoral care to take place in those sort of circumstances. One more point, friends. Finally, number five, personal development courses. Personal development courses. 
You know, we can develop better skills in practicing Christian love. Seriously. It says in Proverbs 3.13, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. You know, I want to make the suggestion it's great to complete courses that help us understand ourselves better and understand each other. You remember back on Mother's Day, uh, my wife Pamela, she gave a message on the love languages. And that's one of those many great courses. And we even, as part of the service, people filled in the details so they found out what their love language is and all of that, uh, if people didn't already know. And there was an opportunity to put some of that into practice there and then. Uh, but that's, in fact, I reckon we should have that, for those who don't mind, it'd be good to have that in our database, wouldn't it? Not just the person's name, but a little few details. It might be their, you know, it might be the ministry that they're involved in. It might be something like, well, what is their love language? Just to help us to know how to minister to one another better. If their love language is gifts, isn't that a great way to encourage them? Their love language is words of affirmation, isn't that a great way to encourage them? You know, another course that um, I think might be worth doing this next year, actually, is a one titled Personality Plus. Um, I just recently heard a lecture from uh, John Maxwell, the, the kind of the leadership guru, and he said that book helped him a lot in learning how to better relate to people. So it, it looks at four major personality types, suggesting all of us fall into one of those categories. Sometimes we're bilingual and we may have a couple of those personalities, but it helps us understand ourselves and how to relate to other people better. Well worth doing. Um, also, of course, spiritual gifts courses are always helpful as well, just knowing one another's spiritual gifts and uh, it'd be another good thing to offer, I think, uh, sooner the better. There are all sorts of courses to developers in relationships too, such as marriage courses or parenting courses. Uh, Nikki Gumbel's church, Holy Trinity Brompton, they've created two excellent courses in that area. Well, I should say three really, because there's parenting of little kids, parenting of teenagers. And uh, all of us need to learn more about that. You know, probably all of us feel at times like we really don't measure up. And the same with our marriages. Some great, the great course coming out of the church for marriages too, presented by Nikki and Scylla Lee. Uh, not Nikki Gumble, but one of Nikki's friends. Um, in fact, a guy that actually Nikki, I understand, led to faith in Christ. Um, you know, one of the things that I have suggested to our leadership as well is that we consider having Tim Dyer uh, over to have a chat with us as a church board and to uh, present, um, really it's a course, on how to really develop good relationships and uh, principles within functioning as a church leadership. I mean, he's one of the most respected guys in Australia on this topic, and I'm sure he'd be willing to come out. I, I used to sit under his lectures years ago when I was a, a young bloke. Um, and, but not only our church board. You know, I, I'm wondering then perhaps next year, let's let him come out and do something with all the ministry leaders, the core group as we call it now. Um, and just keep on that, keep that going. Because if we've got really healthy relation, relationships at a leadership level, of course it means it's, it, you have better energy. You know, you're, you're more pumped up. You're, you're seeing the common vision together. You're working together well. And that, I think, you know, it just makes church a more effective place and a more functional place. Let me close with uh, possibly the most famous scripture about loving each other. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus' own words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Isn't that an extraordinary statement? 
Jesus can sum up all of the Bible by saying, look, it's all about loving God and loving others. And then he adds that, hey, loving each other, well, loving God as well, but loving each other, you are fulfilling all the law and the prophets if you do that. Another way of putting it, the more we understand how to put love into practice, the more we will fulfill the Word of God. Well, friends, um, let's, let's recap to close the message today. Five things we've looked at as various ways we can express God's love and love to one another. So God's love through one another and God's love to one another. First of all, quality fellowship. Two, small group meetings. Three, hospitality. Four, pastoral care. Five, personal development courses. Shall we close in prayer? Father, here today, as we've um, dug into this area of love, Lord, just help us as we think through these various expressions. God, give us the motivation, the stirring within to be a loving community. Help us when it comes to fellowship. That, that word koinonia, the sharing of ourselves, the sharing with one another. Help us to live that out. We think of the opportunity for small group meetings. I pray for those who feel a bit disconnected in church life that they might consider, do I become a part of a small group? Father, we pray for hospitality, that more and more we might be frequenting one another's homes over a meal or over a coffee where we're getting to know one another at that deeper level. We think of pastoral care, that as a community we can be caring for one another. And uh, as uh, the, the lecturer, the professor said, be a listening ear to each other and hopefully people have a chance to really share how they're truly doing and not just gloss over the challenges that they feel they're facing. And finally, Lord, as well, um, as we as a church offer personal development courses or as there's some on offer uh, somewhere else uh, in another church or in some conference, Father, help us to keep on developing and growing that we might be able to more effectively put love into practice. Lord, we know that this is only possible through the strength you provide. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, equip us, help us to live out the love that we know we're called to. In Jesus' name, amen.